This week on the Saber.com podcast, a look at some of the hybrid players on the Virginia football defense, a recruiting update, and Jeff Sweatman rants about load management. Let's go. The online source for the serious Wahoo fan, the Saber.com. Time again, everybody, for the Saber.com podcast. Jeff Sweatman, your host, joined by editor uh, Chris Wright and your good pal uh, Chris Horn on the line as we discuss all things who's and there was a recent article guys on uh, ESPN about last season there being more than 75,000 defensive snaps in college football games this was according to uh, sports info solutions and of those there were five or more defensive backs on the field 92 percent of the time so we've talked about kind of the those different formations and things that uh, UVA uses non-base defenses I guess and we want to talk about uh, super subs this week. So where do you want to take this discussion with some of these hybrid guys this year? So we've mentioned on a couple of the recent podcasts that you get caught up in the base three, four depth chart, (laughs) you know, like and Virginia isn't the only one clearly based on that stat that basically doesn't play their base defense. And a, a large part of that is understandable with the way college offenses have gotten. And I think we had a uh, audio clip from Coach Mendenhall last week talking about, you know, whoever can cover and tackle um, needs to be on the field a lot because there are a lot of RPOs and a lot of spread and a lot of that. So it makes sense why teams are doing it. I don't know that I would have guessed if you if you just said to me, hey, pick a percent of time that teams play five defensive backs. I don't know I would have guessed that high, though. 92% yeah. is – that's basically every snap of the football game. So – that number was a little high, so it caught me a little by surprise, even even as the one who says, yeah, they play 2-4-5 or 3-3-5 three, three, all the time. So knowing that, we're going to see five defensive backs. Mendenhall openly said it, and then the data spit, spit out right there basically supports it. Who are some of these guys that can be hybrids? <laughs> if you're playing a 2-4-5, who can be a hybrid part of that four linebackers? If you're playing a 3-3-5, three, three, who can be a hybrid safety linebacker. I thought it might be interesting to talk about some of the names that, that are in those positions versus maybe they're not a pure starter. Maybe they are, but who, who are some of these other guys that might factor into that equation? And it kind of depends on how you want to go about it. You do it, which, which hybrid group do we want to look at first? Um, the article mm-hmm. it came from was, was kind of a, a lighthearted, fun article about all these random names for positions on defense. So Virginia has a, a saber bat, which is really just the strong safety. They have a buck, which is uh, one of the linebackers, right? So instead of the old traditional Will, Sam, Mike, you know, strong safety, free safety, the article was talking about all these random names, and it goes through a bunch of different variations throughout the country, right? So <laughs> including the Joker is what it starts off with, which apparently Texas A&M, back when Von Miller was there, they wanted to name their kind of defensive end hybrid guy, something like wild and mysterious and crazy, right? That gets after the quarterback. And so well, how about the Joker, you know, from Batman? So, <laughs> anyway, so it was kind of going through some of the lineage of some of those names, but yeah, so you've got a saber back for Virginia, but they do all kinds of hybrid type of guys. So, so we'll pick one and start from there, but, but yeah, that's where the idea came from. Well, and Chris Horn, it, it seems like it's sort of what we've talked about with basketball, where you're entering this kind of positionless era. You're you're looking mm-hmm. for those guys that can be 
you know, play guard multiple positions and uh, football is kind of morphing in that direction as well. Yeah. And uh, coach Papinga talked about the outside linebacker position and how they use those guys in so many different ways. So you can think of guys uh, who line up as edge rushers who put, who can also put their hands on the ground, uh, but uh, who also can play in, in the, uh, in the secondary play some play some coverage. Kind of like Noah Taylor obviously comes to mind as a guy in that regard. So UVA, I mean, UVA, yeah, I feel like UVA has been doing this for uh, a while, certainly, with in terms of uh, mixing up their personnel and, and bringing out like five defensive backs and and util- utilizing guys in, uh, you know, kind of a variety of ways. And that outside linebacker position definitely stands out. So maybe that's a interesting way to start, I guess. I don't know, maybe the outside linebacker spot, you know, a guy that, you know, Noah Taylor obviously stands out. But, um, you know, a guy who I'm thinking of is a, you know, freshman who just came in, James Jackson, who received some buzz for his play. He's kind of like a tweener between outside linebackers, strong safety, kind of like we saw with Chris Moore a, a few years ago who came in and, you know, so he'd line up at safety occasionally and, uh, but also could, uh, you know, play some linebacker. And we'll talk about recruiting later, later in the, in the, in the show. But I think, you know, Stevie Bracey, who just committed to Virginia kind of fits that mold too as real, you know, fast guy who can line up in a variety of spots, kind of, again, that hybrid outside linebacker, strong safety type, you know, maybe UVA is starting to look more towards those guys. You know, Chase Chalmers, who's, uh, you know, on the roster, he's coming into his third year. He's another one of those types of guys who's, if you think of traditional positions, he's a little bit big maybe for a safety, like 6'2", 220 or, or 6'1", 220 or so, but kind of in between that 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 spot so maybe he's a guy who could who maybe plays a more expanded role you know depending on what what uh coach men and all cooks up this coming season well and being a bigger uh, baseball fan myself than i probably am a football fan over the years guys i'm thinking while you guys are talking about all the shifts now in baseball and it still comes down to like the ball gets hit to you you got to field it and throw it to first right it doesn't matter where you catch the ball i mean hopefully that that scheme helps you uh, with your defensive alignment, but some of these things, it's like football is still football, right? And you gotta, you know, if the guys in your area, you gotta cover them and, and you gotta get them down or, or block the pass or whatever needs to be done. Do you, do you feel like the, this evolution of the game is, is helpful or is it just being done kind of out of necessity? Because like you said, Chris, right, these offenses are just so high powered. It's so hard to stop them. It's all circular, <laughs> you know, offenses change something, defenses change something to chase it. Offenses change something, defense, right? So 20 years ago, 15 years ago, it was the wildcat, right? The <laughs> cycle your quarterback out to a receiver position and, and put somebody else back there, essentially to gain the extra blocker, just like you do now with just doing it with the quarterback, right? So some of it is that, right? Defensive, defenses evolved to, to chase that initially and then RPOs. And now you're seeing counter that with more versatile guys, defensive backs, hybrid outside linebacker types that can stop the run or cover a tight end or get matched up on a slot receiver or, you know, they like the, the variety of things. I'm curious to see where the next offensive counter is, right? So if you start putting all these little hybrid guys on the field, do you see somebody turn around and go, go retro essentially <laughs> where you circle back around and now you're seeing smash mouth against little guys, right? Well, these little guys tackle you for 30, 40, 50 power runs a game. So yeah, always cat and mouse going on the, you know, Chris mentioned some of the kind of hybrid linebacker types that I'm curious, you know, Chico Bennett towards ACL, 
we, we mentioned him and Lavelle Davis recently, and he was a guy that was a defensive lineman at Georgia Tech, was slotted as outside linebacker here. So who's that guy? <laughs> Since it was going to be maybe Chico Bennett, yeah. who can kind of mix into that role some? I, I'm curious about a guy like Deshaun Perry, played defensive line and linebacker in high school. He was both in high school for Earl Sims, a former Virginia player. He was on the field a little bit here and there, and he seems to be the, the mold maybe that kind of maybe could do that. Now, I know that Coach Papinga says linebackers are linebackers. We're going to move guys around. They might play different spots, but 6'3", 235 is what he's listed at. You know, we know he's had his hand in the ground before in high school. It, is he someone that kind of filters into that role a little bit? He's, he's going to have an eye on. I know Chris has mentioned Jonathan Horton a bunch of times throughout the, the last six or eight months in terms of potential hybrid types because he's just big. He's 6'4". <laughs> so maybe he, he can stand up or put his hand down and rush. So couple more names in that spot that's interesting or does it become almost all three three five instead of two four five and, and i know i've mentioned that a couple of times recently here on the podcast does the personnel mean you you're having it dictated to you the best 11 we have fits better into a three three five we'll see but i know they really liked that two four five here the last couple of years but maybe that's because they had uh charles uh charles snowden chicago bear <laughs> as one of the options right so maybe yeah. that's why but he was one of the best 11 the difficulty i think is that you know with uh with another thing we've discussed is uh you know how coach bennett likes to use the 11 best guys on defense and he'll use those guys a lot so we don't really see a whole lot of these guys uh as far as like the Deshaun Perry's and, you know, Jonathan Horton was a true freshman this past season. So that's not a shock that he didn't necessarily see uh, a lot of time, but like Deshaun Perry. So he'll be entering his third year in the program as well, like a Chase Chalmers. And again, we haven't seen a lot of these guys. I mean, I think UVA is pretty, uh, not that they're not willing to use different guys, but certainly they will stick with those same 11 that they're most confident with, I think, from start to finish primarily. So yeah, Deshaun Perry kind of reminds me of like a Chris Peace type. And yeah, to Chris's point, like that's that's kind of a different type of a linebacker, like a Chico Bennett, Chris Peace, a guy who's maybe, you know, tougher, more of a defensive end-ish type who can really solidify the edge, you know, who is going to emerge. You know, Jonathan Horton, I've mentioned because, you know, 6'4", 245, played basketball, was really a dynamic athlete um, out of high school. But, again, we haven't seen much from him yet. Unfortunately, Bennett's, I would think, is probably out for the season with uh, the ACL or at least the majority of the season. So, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Who's going to step up to fill that kind of uh, – I mean, you have the Noah Taylor – really super athletic guy who can do multiple things, but who's going to be that other, that, that kind of linebacker who can, who can do some things in pass coverage was maybe a primarily tough guy, edge guy, uh, pass rusher type guy. So that'll be interesting to see who they, who comes up there. And it could be opponent defender, right? Like right, right. a team that, that looks a certain way up front offensively might dictate sub packages. There's more than one. So there, there's different ways to mix and match the pieces. The one guy that's coming in is, is Josh Hayes, who's a corner, but has a whole lot of, whole lot of nickelback vibe to him, can play nickelback potentially. He, he didn't play that at North Dakota State, but in terms of his style and makeup, there's at least some train of thought that maybe he could be a nickelback type. So there's somebody that could be a safety linebacker hybrid technically, even though he's not linebacker size. He's got like a, a physicality or, or gruffness to his game that might allow even somebody like that to play nickelback. Yeah, that's what makes college uh, football so fascinating to me. You've got these guys who maybe are coming from a high school career where they played multiple positions or 
or one position and they get asked to do something else in college. And you, you got to kind of figure out like what does the, what the guy actually want to play? Does that factor in at all? Or is it mainly just like, we need you at this spot. You, if, even if you've never played it before, you got to learn it fast and just fly around and, and do the job on defense. And, and I want you guys to talk to about the, since we ha- had some, some defensive back issues, these, the past year certainly um, maybe explained to, to the average fan, like just the difference between safety and corner. Like I remember, you know, a couple of regimes ago at Missouri, the fans would go, get a little incensed because the, the DBs would play so far off of the, the wide receivers. You were basically given up an eight yard gain every time, but that was partly because they didn't want <laughs> to get, they knew they were going to get beat over the top if they played too close. So it, it's that cat and mouse game too, right? When you're talking about, press coverage and i know Co- tony covington on the broadcast gets a little <laughs> gets a little uh you know upset sometimes based on what what coverages we play but you, you got to go with with the personnel you've got right that sounds like one of the top 10 fan complaints regardless of program yeah. <laughs> why do our corners play so far off right yeah because the only time you notice it is when a guy plays off and gets a quick throw happens to go out there the mm-hmm. other 85 snaps, <laughs> right? Out of the 92 <laughs> snaps that just happened, eight times they threw it out there, you noticed he was off. Did you notice the other 80 times? <laughs> right. 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 So that one always cracks me up. But w- what's the difference? I mean, typically, safeties are in the middle of the field. The way Virginia plays it, you've got, and really the way most play it, you've got a safety that can come to the box and a safety that can go back and play center field baseball style, right? Help on both sides. That's an extreme oversimplification, but that's the gist of it. The corners are outside the hashes. Again, formation dependent by the offense, but in general, they're guarding the perimeter. You've got one guy on the boundary side, meaning the one, the hash marks closest to the field. You got one guy on the field side that covers the wide side of the field in terms of the corner positions. And I do remember Nick Grant saying once in an interview over the last six months or whatever, that field corner is hard to play because the entire route tree is available. They got all that space out there. They can run any route. Whereas the boundary corner, you can kind of, you know, assume that, you know, the following are kind of taken out based on formation or whatever. Right. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of pre-snap reads and things like that. But yeah, two outside guys, two inside guys, a wide side and a, and a short side for the corners, a closer to the line, farther away from the line for the safety. And you can mix and match that into 6,000 different coverages, which is why you need versatile guys, particularly with RPOs, right? Where the, the, you're confusing your keys, the linemen are run blocking and suddenly the ball is being thrown, <laughs> that sort of thing. So lots of moving pieces in there. One thing we didn't mention yet, that kind of fits that, that safety guy that has to make those reads and kind of a hybrid is, is Donovan Johnson that, you know, like last year started, let's go back a step before we talk about, about Donovan. The last year at the start of the season, they had three safeties on the field a lot. Joey Blunt, Brenton Nelson, and D'Angelo Amos out there together. D'Angelo Amos was sort of new, you know, new to the program. Blunt more the run stopper. Brenton Nelson more the kind of the hybrid guy. And then you mix in D'Angelo Amos, that was another hybrid guy, sort of. So when those guys kind of went down, Donovan Johnson played a lot at Miami and kind of in that little middle segment of the season, you started seeing him pop into the defense some. So he's another Chase Chalmers type that's a, a little bigger. Uh, maybe he's someone that, that's a hybrid hybrid safety type. He's another Louisiana kid. <laughs> you know, so apparently they're getting a lot of versatile athletes from, from the boot. Maybe different guys mix in, but he was another one that I remembered seeing as his braids out of the back of his hair when the first time he appeared it's like what is like 
because you don't they change numbers every year. So you have to when somebody new pops <laughs> on, sometimes I gotta double check the roster. I remember yeah. the first time seeing him on the field going, wait, which guy is that? <laughs> um, so I'm curious to see if he mixes in anywhere. And I don't remember what you what you remember about him as a recruit, but he's he's technically a redshirt freshman, even though he played last year because it was under the amount, well, it's a free year anyway, but also under the amount of games that would have tripped that threshold. Yeah, he, I mean, he was a highly touted guy coming out of uh, Louisiana. Pretty well coveted recruit, I guess. So, yeah, I mean, cornerback or safety. But, yeah, with his size, he's got like kind of that perfect uh, – uh, that lends him to being a cornerback slash safety type. And, I mean, to, to Jeff's point, though, it comes down to personnel. I mean, I think in terms of how aggressively you want to use your defensive backs, like you, when UVA had Bryce Hall and Juan Thornhill – guys who prove that they can lock down guys then you saw that a lot more I, f- I feel like in yeah. terms of the press coverage and that's one thing that has definitely been lacking uh the past year and a half or so for for UVA is having a definitive lockdown corner guy and so I think with with Hayes coming in I think they at least I would hope that they he can come in and assume that role as one of the lockdown potential lockdown type corner guy with Nick Grant being the other corner guy. And then you start Blount and Devontae Cross at safe, at the safety positions. And then, yeah, so who is going to be that fifth guy? There's Anthony Johnson coming in from Louisville, who also kind of fits that 6'1", kind of like Donovan Johnson. Like, uh, I think Donovan's a little bit taller, but John, Anthony Johnson, 6'1", 205. We heard about, you know, that he's pretty good phys- physicality there. So maybe he's that fifth one. Uh, Antonio Clary has, you know, gotten some pretty good run you know he, he was he was injured his first year as a first year in 2019 played more this past season didn't really take like a huge step forward but uh, I, I believe they've said some pretty good things about him this spring so really you know it would be great if a guy like him and he's another physical type guy you know six foot 210 pounds or whatever who can who can uh, you know play close to the line and, and be a physical guy? So there are a lot of names I think who have potential. We just have to see who's gonna who's gonna step up. So I mean I think like like Chris said uh, Donovan Johnson. I think Anthony Johnson falls in that category. Uh, there are a lot of interesting guys. Fentrell Cypress, who's a probably more of a pure cornerback type, but he's got a lot of speed. Something UVA definitely needs in the secondary uh, and upgrade with. So it's going to, you know, there are a lot of names we could talk about. We just have to see who's going to emerge really in fall camp and in the season. I'm getting hyped. (laughs) It'll be here before you know it. I know, (laughs) I know it's May, but preseason practice starts the beginning of August. It's really not that far away, although there's plenty of time to go to the beach or something between now and then. (laughs) One name we left off, Cohen King started four games last year and he's, he's got to be in the mix. You know, he, he earned a scholarship. He is a guy that can play either corner or safety. He and Clary are slightly different body types, meaning slightly shorter than the Chalmers Johnson types, both mm-hmm. listed at six one or no, six foot even. King 185, Clary 200 even in terms of what they're listed. But they're a slightly different body type. So again, it may be opponent dependent, but the type of names that I'm expecting to see, Elliot Brown. I think doesn't come back and figure into their plans if they don't see a way to use him. And he's a potential hybrid guy. You mentioned some others at that, even some outside linebacker, uh, Perry, Horton, Jackson, players like that. Safety linebacker type of hybrid, whether that's Chalmers or Johnson, or um, if they move someone like Louisville transfer Johnson inside, not Donovan Johnson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So Johnson and Johnson, uh, obviously popular uh, out there right now for other reasons, but the um, 
you know, that, that's the linebacker safety type of hybrid. And then you get maybe a corner safety type of hybrid, a Tosh Hayes, even a Devontae Cross, right? Like, yes, I know he's a full-time safety, but there might be a package where they can use him and put a third safety out there too. And then I, I think Cohen King factors into things pretty significantly because he had a big role last year. But this is going to be one of the things to track with new coaches, Coach Brumfield coaching the corners, Coach Hunter coaching the safeties. Coach Howell overseeing the whole defense, and he said he's able to go in and out of meetings more. You know, so so how does all of the new coaching kind of blend in as you get new eyeballs on people, opponent specific? But yeah, I think this is kind of the crux of the question that popped up from that that ESPN article. If ninety two percent of the time in college football there's going to be a fifth defensive back, it's important for us to talk about and try to figure out who's the fifth defensive back, not who's just the starters. Yeah, we've talked a lot of good. Uh personnel info this week i thought of a good question that i'll just tease for uh for maybe next week regarding the secondary i thought of a good uh maybe put you guys on the spot sort of thing pick pick one of three options but we'll, we'll get to that later on i uh, wanted to talk about some of the things on the, the message boards lately at the saber.com so monday fun day it's kind of a new thing but um you know just something fun to to think about and uh there's various players from the past that are uh being defended in in various ways as far as like an all-time red zone <laughs> who, who would you pick from the virginia receiving core in in all of virginia history to uh throw to in the red zone so uh what do you guys what were your impressions of that uh discussion and um you know what are your personal picks who, who wants to go first on that one yeah, so we put it out there meme style you, know, you get likes on our message board so if the last number in your likes is a certain number, you pair up with a receiver that we put in a little graphic, right? So we had Kevin Ogletree, Alameda Zacchaeus, Chris Bird, Maurice Covington, Kane, and Severin. And the question was, okay, you're covering this guy in the red zone. Would he score? <laughs> right? And just let fans have, have fun with that. But the spinoff here for the podcast is, all right, let's say I'm throwing in the red zone. Okay. <laughs> who do I want to throw yes. to? Right? So who... who who are the uh, kind of top red zone guys? The easy one. I mean, everyone off the top is going to say Herman Moore, right? Like, yep, yep. If I had to pick, I'm starting with that guy, <laughs> um, which, which makes a lot of sense. Arguably the best receiver in Virginia history, no matter how modern numbers and all that change things. You know, if he got the amount of targets that some of these modern guys get, yeah, who knows? But yeah, so I, I would just start there, Herman Moore. But um, there, there are some from the past, and I think there are some recent, including ones that we put on that meme there that, that belong in that conversation. But I'll go Herman Moore first. Who do you think off the top of your head, Chris? Well, it was going to be Herman Moore, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess, uh, yeah, the the, sport, the the person who goes first gets all the all the riches there. Uh, now, Billy McMullen is kind of – I'll go some underrated guys. So, like Billy uh-huh. McMullen comes to mind. He's got – he had the size, the hands – Chris Bird is kind of an underrated guy, I feel like, uh, in terms of like a guy who could really go up and get the ball. But I'll go now. I don't know if we can do tight ends, but with his hands, big money, Heath, then they can't do tight ends. No, this is a receiver conversation. Uh-huh. But of course, yeah. But you can mention Heath Miller anytime you want. <laughs> Got to mention it. Well, obviously, Heath Miller doesn't have that, you know, flashy athletic ability like a Herman Moore that he would have, but he had I mean, his hands were just phenomenal so anywhere any if the ball gets anywhere near him he's going to catch the ball so i would love to have him on my team but yeah i mean um hmm. it's it's just hard to top herman moore man i mean that guy's <laughs> phenomenal i mean i keep going back to him but jermaine crowell 
is another guy, uh, UVA back in the day, who was pretty uh, stout with the Aaron Brooks to Jermaine Crowell combination. Right. I guess so, the, so a couple, yeah. couple others. Yeah. I think career touchdown leader, Tyrone Davis. Yeah. Right. Like became a tight end in the NFL, I believe. Right. Right. I was going to say, so I don't know how you want to count him, but <laughs> 28, 28 career touchdowns. From 1991 yeah. to 1994. So apparently, yeah, I'd throw to that guy because he's in the end zone a lot. <laughs> Ford is a name from the 80s that, you know, older fans love. Had a big catch at Virginia Tech. Kanan Severn, we mentioned in the uh, the meme that we put out. But, you know, he, he had three touchdowns in a game against Louisville in 2015. So, you know, he's someone. Alameda Zacchaeus was very versatile. He, he's the type. You start digging way back, you know, Sonny Randall. <laughs> right? You could throw out some names where <laughs> – when you start going through the record books of yeah. who was the, you know, the, the annual receiving leader without knowing their positions as well. If you just go by like touchdowns, someone like Dave Sullivan led the ACC in receiving in 1972. He had seven touchdowns that season. Wow. Right. So, so these are the tights, you know, it's just a good chance to throw out old time names that had a lot of touchdown catches in a season, but you were good with Billy McMullen. He had 12 in a, in a season in 2001. Tyrone Davis had 10 in a season in 94. Herman Moore had 13 in a season in 1990. Uh, obviously the big uh, rise to number one season. So yeah, those are the type of targets in the red zone, but we thought it would be fun to kind of spin off of fun day Monday to let people a know that it's, that it's on our, it's on our social media. It's on Instagram. It's on uh, the message board and we're just going to mix it up. We're going to do different things. So sometimes it'll be a meme like this. Sometimes it'll be a poll, you know, we'll, we'll try to do different things just to start the work week off with something fun. Well, you know, not knowing as much of the the UVA history as you guys do. I, I mean, I'm liking Lavelle Davis, uh, you know, it's, he's got to be one of the taller guys to ever play receiver here. Right. Yeah. Um, you're six, seven, you're tall, you're tall to play anything, seven. receiver or anything else. <laughs> Always open, as Coach Mendenhall likes to say. But, I mean, yeah, if he can – as he gets stronger, man, he's going to be uh, – yeah, so unfortunate with the, his ACL injury. But as he gets just stronger, um, you know, assuming he comes back from that okay, yeah, he's got the potential, John. I mean, he's got uh, six seven. He's athletic too, though. He's not just six seven. He's, he, I was kind of very uh, pleasantly surprised with how fluid – he is athletically, so he's just a natural athlete. In addition to being six seven, he gets that timing, the hands, and everything down, and he gets stronger. So where guys can't push him out of the, out of the way, uh, he's gonna. I don't, you know, he's gonna be a, a real force for UVA in the years to come, or has the potential to be. Well, and even as the game has uh, developed and going back a couple decades, the the first years probably didn't play very much. Um, I mean, that's got to go down as one of the great all-time first-year seasons in UVA history, right? In terms of receivers, for sure, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, he had a great a great freshman season. Yards per catch was through the roof. So, yeah, absolutely. One of the best freshman seasons in Virginia history, especially for a receiver. Yeah, Dontavian Wicks is another guy. Um, uh, 6'1", 215 pounds. Obviously, we haven't seen, you know, we've seen with Lavelle what he can do on the field during the regular season. We still have to see that from – Dontavian, but in terms of potential, you know, these two guys have a lot of potential to become, yeah, two really dynamic forces at UVA. But yeah, going back, I, I was shocked that Chris did not mention Hasis Dubois as one of his. <laughs> I was going to bring that up. <laughs> um, but hey, but yeah, shout out to him though with his physicality, his you know his size, but his his competitive spirit, man, it's hard to match that. That good, that that dude was a a baller. So. But yes, yeah, so some definitely pretty good players in UVA history. But you know, Coach Mendenhall, you know, is recruiting that type of player, six four, tall guys. You know, 
always open guys that, you know, I guess when you get close to the end zone, you can throw it up to. I mean, Nathaniel Beal is on the roster now. He's kind of coming up um, six, five guys. So yeah, a lot, definitely UVA fans are going to be seeing plenty of those types of t- big, big receiver types uh, in the Mendenhall era. Dubois, 11 touchdowns his last two seasons ever. So there you go. Well, we've got a little bit of recruiting to talk about in the next segment, guys, football and basketball wise. And I'll give a shout out to uh, a whole bunch of very successful uh, UVA sports here this spring in my ignorant soliloquy to uh, close out the podcast this week uh, with kind of the overarching theme being load management. (laughs) That's all on the way here next on the Saber.com podcast. It's your number one online source as a Virginia fan, the Saber.com. And we're back on the Saber.com podcast. Jeff Sweatman, Chris Wright, Chris Horn every week or so. We talk about the who's and what are some of the upcoming uh, developments or new developments in the recruiting world. Chris Horn, uh, we've got football and basketball recruits to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for football, uh, wrapping up football, Stevie Bracey, linebacker out of uh, Atlanta, Georgia, uh, just committed over the weekend. So he's Virginia's fourth commitment in the class 2022. So those are the, you know, for those who don't follow recruiting a lot, those are the rising senior guys so they'll commit and then they can sign in, in December as seniors but yeah he attends the Lovett school which produced Nick Jackson so if UVA gets the same result as they did with Mr. Jackson I think they'll be pretty happy but yeah he's 6'1 215 pound guy he plays a kind of a middle yeah middle linebacker type position and he also plays tight end in high school it looks to it looks to have pretty good speed you know for kind of a quick uh, scouting report there good speed good tackler but yeah, UVA is recruiting him as, as a linebacker. But as I mentioned earlier, he kind of fits that perhaps a linebacker slash safety type mold. We'll see what happens when he gets to Virginia. But in terms of a guy who could potentially with his speed do multiple things. So yeah, it looks like a pretty solid pickup there. So again, Virginia's got four commitments and yeah, football recruiting is really going to pick up here in June where all, you know, all four weekends uh, recruits are going to be able to take official visits so I would expect the uh, football recruiting news to really amp up there um, then. And then Igor Milicic is now officially a member of – Igor Milicic Jr. is uh, officially a member of uh, the Virginia basketball program. So, um, yeah, 6'9", guard slash forward type guy, Croatian, uh, Poland native. It looks like he's pretty skilled. Um, you know, I, I know Chris likes to go off games, but just from what we've seen – you know, he's got some pretty good skills as far as ball handling and, uh, you know, some intriguing skills, certainly. Um, and we'll, it'll be interesting to see him this coming season. But, yeah, so you have him. Uh, you have Tane Murray, uh, guard out of uh, New Zealand, 6'5 guard. And then you have the two transfers, Jaden Gardner, uh, the post, and um, Armand Franklin, the shooting guard, all coming in now. It'll be interesting to see if Tony Bennett's done that. Chris, I know we're waiting, you know, waiting for Trey Murphy to, you know, see what happens with him in the NBA draft. But it kind of feels like UVA might be done. I don't know. Do, do you agree? Regardless of what happens with Murphy? My know. response my response is basically what it sounds like out there right now. It's, it's mm-hmm. radio silence, which usually, usually indicates that they're done. So I know fans are worried about that. There were some threads on that last week that it feels maybe like the roster's one – one position or one player short. And and some people feel that even with Murphy back, that it's one position short. I, I'm not really looking at it that way. A lot of this really, to me, hinges on Kafaro and Statman. We haven't seen 
them in major roles yet. Does that mean they're done? Does that mean they're not ever going to be a major role? I don't think we know that yet. It's very different being asked to play a certain niche role and then taking over major minutes. I don't know if they're ready to take over major minutes. I'm not saying they are. I'm just saying the staff might have a different view on that than all of us out here do. I think a lot of this, oh no, Virginia shouldn't stand firm kind of line of thinking is based on writing off Kafaro and Statman as any realistic potential for the rotation. So yes, it does kind of feel like they're standing pat for now. I know there was the piece in the athletic where Kyle Getter, who's now an assistant coach and Soderberg is now director of scouting. I think they swapped positions kind of mentioned in, in the article in the athletic that they were encouraged by the direction of Murphy, but it's hard to know exactly what that means <laughs> or what you're trying to put out there for public consumption. So we'll, we'll mm-hmm. see if they stand pat or not, but yeah, it does feel that way. But for, for me, you, you mentioned the football recruit. That's two months in a row, a signee or a commitment, not a signee from Georgia. And that's something that's become pretty standard operating procedure in the Mendenhall era. Georgia, Louisiana, <laughs> they're taking a lot of guys out of those two Southern SEC territory states. I'm, I'm curious, what, how do you compare that to the past? One, right, Virginia's always had a fair amount of success in its sports out of the Atlanta area. That makes sense, a lot of alums in the Atlanta area. And then a little bit in the New Orleans, Baton Rouge area, there's a fair amount of alums. So I think that there's some of that tying in, and that, that'll lead – you know, is Arch Manning coming to visit? That's the other big topic. The latest Manning quarterback goes to school in Louisiana. Obviously, the Manning family has ties to Virginia. So is he going to come visit? Can Bronco get him get him on grounds? That's the other big kind of football topic. But what do you think, Chris? Like Georgia, Louisiana have become the new seven by seven in a way, you know, because all of those guys are leaving the state. They don't want to play for Virginia, Virginia Tech anymore. So all these all these players are going within their region. Right. So you got Virginia guys going to North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida. But then you've got Georgia, Louisiana guys, North Carolina guys coming to Virginia. So what do you think about that shift? Yeah, well, I think uh, as far as in-state recruiting, first of all, I'm not a huge necessarily. uh, I don't really buy into, you know, obviously, I think you'd like to see the local kids stay close. But, you know, if you can get the talented players that you need wherever you can get them. I think that's what you do. But, yeah, as you mentioned, Chris, a lot of the top, top guys we're seeing leave the state, really, the past several years. As far as the state of Virginia, UVA did have a rebound last year as far as getting top quality. In fact, I believe their best year under Mendenhall recruiting the state of Virginia last year. So is the on-field success starting to really pay off? And I think we'll find more out about that this coming season, you know, you have a five-star prospect in Zach Rice out of Liberty Christian Academy, where UVA is in the top five with him. So, you know, it'll be interesting that he's going to take an official visit in June. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. With Louisiana, I mean, obviously Coach Brumfield coming in. I think UVA does a good job at, you know, with the connections that they have in terms of uh, going to those certain places. So Coach Brumfield comes in in Jordan Arsenault was uh, like a, the head scout or something like that. Both of those guys had great connections in Louisiana. You know, did a good job in obviously landing landing some guys from there. How Whether or not they can keep that up, you know, they may be able to add another player here or two. You know, I mean, obviously they got, you know, Keaton Thompson, who's from there as a transfer. Uh, Dontavian Wicks is from there. Mike Hollins, Jonathan Horton. 
uh, Donovan Johnson. So they've gotten some really good players. So if guys from there see see those guys having success, I think that's going to um, you know that's obviously going to help as far as adding more. But Georgia is really for me like the more consistent for recruiting ground that can be a lasting um, area. And as Chris mentioned, you know Atlanta especially. Um, UVA landed five kids from Georgia this past class um, in the class 2021, uh, including Ahmad Faustin, who's on on grounds now, uh, the running back. So, um, yeah, I mean, Georgia's definitely been a, a, a fruitful recruiting territory for Virginia. I expect that's going to continue. So that's not really a surprise. But, um, yeah, I do give uh, Coach Menhall and his, his staff credit. I mean, you see that going to Texas. Uh, they have two kids from Tennessee uh, in this year's class in their tenure since they've been to, at Virginia, they've gone to Texas, Florida. So, I mean, they, I think they do a good job of identifying the, the type of schools that Virginia will have success recruiting and going after those kids from those schools and, um, you know, the academic athletic uh, combination. Um, so they've done a good job, but yeah, Georgia definitely seems like, and with, you know, with guys who continue to have success at Virginia, when they get to Virginia, that's only going to, that's only going to help, I think, recruiting there. But, um, but yeah, they've done a good job of in in Georgia and Louisiana. And but as far as in-state in-state recruiting, um, we'll see what if the on-field success, if they you know provided it continues, maybe they'll start to reel in some of those top ten uh, top ten guys who are leaving the state, you know, really consistently the past several years. I think you nailed it. School profile is important here. And maybe it's not that it's located in Atlanta. Maybe it's the type of school it is, right? Mm -hmm. So you're seeing that a lot with this staff, taking academic private schools with quality football programs and quality football players and really mining those for your high quality three-star type of recruit. You're not getting necessarily a top 10 guy, but you're getting a high level three-star solid recruit that you know that can survive academically and contrast that to, you know, that middle of that Al Groh era where he, the admission stuff was going on where five, six, seven guys in one class, I think it was, didn't get admitted for whatever reason due to academics. Well, if you can get a quality three-star guy that you know can stick, that's huge. That's huge because you can develop and grow and build that player. So, and you see that all over the Virginia roster. So the most recent one, greater Atlanta Christian, but, you know, we mentioned Deshaun Perry in the last segment, Gulliver Preps, a private school in Florida, right? Charles Snowden, who we mention all the time, private school in the Washington, D.C. area, right? So they are mining those type of schools consistently and constantly. So, you know, I know fans love to get caught in-state, out-of-state, start looking at school profile. That's really, I think, what, what Coach Mendenhall and staff are doing. They have identified areas where football is good, places like Atlanta, Georgia, like Washington, D.C., where schools with high academic reputations are the ones hosting those football players, right, or uh, showcasing those football players. Yeah, and, and to your point, all four, well, I know Lovett's an independent school. Lovett is where uh, Stevie Bracey uh, attends and Nick Jackson graduated from. But uh, so all four players in this class from private schools or attend private schools. Um, so, yeah, that's yeah, great point, and I think that's uh, – exactly what they've done a good job of, um, you know, uh, in their, in their tenure so far. And uh, yeah, which is a you know, great strategy. You gotta, you gotta, um, uh, as far as, as far as recruiting goes. Yeah. That makes sense to me guys. Well, up next on the saber.com podcast, I'll have uh, 
few thoughts about load management these days and some of the who's in the NBA as we gear up for the playoffs this week. And yeah, shout out to uh, some of the successful uh, programs this year, uh, non-basketball and football-wise across the UVA sports spectrum. That's next here on the Saber.com podcast. The Front Porch is a nonprofit roots music organization, and we uh, connect everyone through music. I like the way that the Front Porch encourages people to, to sort of engage with their community and sort of enlarge the community. Everybody is included, and that's really what the word community is about, you know, making sure that everybody has their chance to have a good time and, and participate and add something. All right, welcome back. Sabre editor Chris Wright in the driver's seat for the final segment, originally named the Turning the Table segment, uh, where we let Jeff Sweatman take the lead on what's on his mind. We were doing music for a while. We may circle back and do some music at some point, but lately we've been letting Jeff go monologue style just on things that are kind of hot topics in the sports world, which very much fits our message boards where fans pop in with things that that are on their minds. For example, on the soccer board earlier this week, following Virginia, the women's soccer team had the um, penalty kicks lost to Florida State in the College Cup Final Four. And then Florida State turned around and lost in penalty kicks to Santa Clara uh, in the title game. But there was a, a soccer post about an old shootout style from back in the early 80s. Well, the video that was linked had Aleko Eskandarian's father in it. And Aleko Eskandarian actually played at Virginia. So it was about shootouts, right? But it, it tied into UVA indirectly. And so we tweeted at, at Aleko, and he was like, yeah, I've definitely seen this video before. <laughs> we kind of laughed at his dad on the video. But yeah, stuff just pops up, pops in fans' minds. And so we're letting uh, Jeff kind of do those sort of things. And he, he teased it going in there. Load management became a, a phrase lately uh, in professional sports. Stress management, of course, uh, also a, a popular topic during the pandemic. So if you're hearing a, a tweeting bird, that's us helping you with stress. As we record from home offices, uh, you get a little ambient noise there. So we're stress managing it with you with uh, the happy songs of spring. <laughs> but yeah, lo lo load management uh, on your mind, Jeff. That's my uh, musical background. For uh, It's like one of those apps <laughs> that helps put you to calm you down. No, but I, you know, pundits from Greenberg to Stephen A to PTI, they've all rightfully ripped the uh, teams like the Clippers, who basically threw their last two games of the regular season to lowly Houston and OKC in order to stay the four seed, I guess, and, and presumably not have to match up with the Lakers until the conference finals, which is interesting because the Clipper franchise has never played in the conference finals anyway. So, you know, I guess you got to do what you got to do to try and try and get further than the, the franchise has ever been. But just the, they made it so obvious, you know, they didn't play their two big stars in, in either one of those games. And they played basically none of their best players in the last game. So, uh, you know, when I look at the, this year's NBA schedule, I, I do get a little tired myself just by looking at it uh, games every other day, no time, even for practice jet setting across the country for one game and back the other way for another. So I can almost get on board with the, uh, the load management concept almost. I just don't understand why guys can't still get rest while playing at least a, a quarter or two every game. So, you know, just think of the, the kid in the stands who waits his whole year to see one pro game because the, the tickets ain't exactly cheap for a family of three or four. They, they just want to see, you know, it's their one chance to see this other team coming to town and 
you know, you, you would think the, these guys, the best players in the world could at least go out there for a quarter, but uh, you know, a good portion of the regular season, they, they're blowout games anyway. So once the game's in hand or out of, out of hand, as the case may be, put, put the second team in the third team in, just call it a day. And I know in the NBA, that's kind of the, the cliche is that everybody makes a run, but sometimes it might be fun to have the backups go on that run as long as the stars play a little bit in most every game. But that brings me to my next point. You know, we've got all these who's in the NBA. It, it's so exciting. It was a little frustrating to check the box scores for the, the OKC Thunder because they went on just this terrible tear at the end of the year where they lost, I think, like 28 of their last 30 or something ridiculous like that. Uh, they have a, vet, a veteran, Al Horford. They basically put him on load management in the middle of the year and told him, look, man, you don't even have to go on road trips. You can just, you can make your 15 million a year, whatever he's making. And just, <laughs> I don't see how that really helps the younger guys like learn the the process. And, you know, so I would say Todd Jerome had a pretty solid year. I mean, he had some injuries at the beginning, but the last time he played was May 6th. He averaged 10.7 points on the year, 3.6 assists, played in 33 games which is a couple more than he played in his rookie year in Phoenix. And he got more than twice as many average minutes from year two to year one. So kudos and uh, congrats to Ty. So I don't know if he was fighting an injury there the last couple of weeks or, or what, but he was getting DNPs on a team that just was not even competitive. So that, that was frustrating just from my, you know, rooting for Ty perspective. Uh, you've got Mamadi Diakite. He got to finally play some for the Bucks in their season finale as they rested their stars. But you know, they've played him hardly at all since he was brought up from the G League uh, when he played so well down there. So it, it is a little odd sometimes the, the formulation of these, you know, on one hand, you've got the load management concept and like, oh, we got to rest these guys for the playoff stretch and, and don't want them to get hurt. But yet you've got a guy like Diakite who doesn't, still doesn't play. So it's very confusing to me. But anyway, Joe Harris, He's on the prohibitive favorite in the Eastern Conference, led the league again in three-point percentage, 47.5. That is awesome. And I'm sure him sitting those last couple of games had nothing to do with his team protecting that percentage at the very top of the uh, the league. Right, guys? Kyle Guy didn't get to play much on a not very good Sacramento team, but hopefully they're going to find a better coach. Luke Walton seems to have those kind of years fairly often throughout his coaching career. Uh, and they do seem to have a pretty solid core of good young guys there uh, with the Kings. But DeAndre Hunter, Malcolm Brogdon, of course, both had injury-plagued seasons, but their teams are in the playoffs. Hunter, at least, has been playing the last couple games. We hope Malcolm uh, is on the mend. But, you know, I don't expect Indiana to last too long. Every time I watched them or looked at their score, it seemed like they were giving up, you know, tons of points. But when I double-checked the stats, they're actually one of 16 teams giving up between 110 and 112 points per game. That's fascinating to me. After 72 games, that many teams are within that amount on the defensive end. So basically most teams in the NBA give up about the same amount of points per game. But uh, Mike Scott, another solid year coming off the bench for the top team in the East with the Sixers. It's great to see Anthony Gill on the upstart Wizards. And he seemed to contribute in important ways whenever he got limited minutes uh, for them. So I'm, I'm rooting for DC for sure this year, especially if they get to play the Nets. That, that will be a hoot, I think, if they can finagle their way into the seventh seed there. But all I'm saying, overall point, it's fantastic to have so many who's in the pros right now. Load manage by playing your bench guys more, but still play your stars, and let's get rid of penalty kicks in the college soccer playoffs, right? Guys, can we all agree on that? <laughs> but, yeah, kudos after, and congrats. After the, yeah, after the performance from UVA, I think, yeah. <laughs> well, no, yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. They played such a great game. 
for I don't think I've ever seen a team miss three penalty kicks too in that kind of setting. So that that was unfortunate. But you know, you got women's tennis making the Sweet 16, men's lacrosse still in action. That had a hard fought Sweet 16 game, so they're on to the Elite Eight. Women's lacrosse, great season, Sweet 16. Men's golf, number six seed overall. Men's tennis, tough loss for them, but um, you know, they made it to the Sweet 16. I mean, that's that is incredible to have all the success in in one year. And really, when you think about it, I guess men's lacrosse is defending champs still, right? Like the, uh, <laughs> the basketball team was there for so long. So it, it's it's a good time to be uh, to be a who, right? Uh, what does Coach Williford always say? Great day to be a Wahoo. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, any day. So yeah, load management uh, on Jeff Sweatman's mind. We are wrapping up the spring sports year rapidly. You know, baseball making a push to try to make the field for the NCAA tournament. Men's lacrosse yep. trying to to hang on and and go back to back, even though there's a, a, a gap year in there. They took a gap year from college uh, thanks to the pandemic. So yeah, we'll see where the various who's end up, including rowing and track and field, not leaving those folks out. The rowing team won another ACC title. Yes. Um, same Which thing they, is, they've won every ACC title but one, I think, in the last 20 years. I think I saw something along those lines. Yeah, it's something crazy like that. It's basically like taxes. You know, it's guaranteed <laughs> to happen in the spring. So. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to forget them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and then track and field is 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 surging. You know, both of those teams finished third in the outdoor championships at the ACCs, but there are signs all over both rosters that both track and field programs are on an upward slope. Yeah, lots of good stuff. That we're following and of course like we said in the first segment it'll be football season before you know <laughs> uh, in the meantime we'll do fun day mondays and fan friday and podcasts and all kinds of stuff to just talk about what's going on in the world of wahoos in the meantime thanks for listening <laughs>